Welcome to the Big Fellas Podcast, where we chop it up about all things past, present, and future about the game of basketball. Where facts, stats, and context reign supreme. That is blasphemous. Sometimes it gets crazy, but we always keep it real. Always keep it real. Get ready to learn from players, coaches, and fans from all levels of the game and see the court in a brand new way. And now, fresh off the sidelines, here's your host, John Hartofillis. What it do, fellas, and welcome to the Big Fellas Basketball Podcast. I'm your host. J.H., coming to you from New York City, the mecca of basketball. Today, I'm joined by Brian Bailey, assistant coach of player development for the Utah Jazz. Brian and I had a great conversation about his playing career overseas, his work for the Utah Jazz, and what it was like coaching inside the NBA bubble. We've got a go-win in store for you today, fellas. Episode number 21, Brian Bailey, Utah Jazz assistant coach. Hey, Brian, what's going on? How you doing, John? Glad to be here with you. Good. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm really looking forward to it. Nice. Hey, no problem. Glad you reached out. Had to talk some good things about you uh, with you. So looking forward to it. Awesome. So just real quick, can you kind of walk us through how you first got introduced to the game and the journey that took you on? Uh, so, I mean, I kind of was introduced to the game at a young age. So I was, I'm originally from New York, grew up in the Bronx. So like when I was younger, me and my brother used to just go uh, to the parks with my dad, like Sunday mornings, just go to the park, watch him play basketball. And kind of do stuff like that so that's kind of how I got introduced to the game and then um gradually just you know became a fan and fell in love with the game so uh just practice you know just me and my brother in our backyard and stuff like that so that's kind of how it all started awesome so I'm the assistant freshman coach at Xavier and we actually I saw that you uh, went to Southside High School uh, right by Hempstead so when did you when did you go to to Southside so I moved to so so I Bronx grew up in the Bronx and I moved to Long Island when I was nine. So I started fourth grade in Long Island. And then, so yeah, I went to the rest of my schooling in uh, Long Island. So I did all my, my high school years, uh, middle school years in Long Island, went to Southside High School. Yeah, Southside's not in our league, but I remember we played them our senior year. They're a really good team. And uh, it's obviously, it must've been a lot of fun. And you, you obviously had a lot of success um, coming out of Long Island and the high school system there, but you didn't really get any D1 offers out of high school, but you took the risk, went to Bucknell and were able to walk on and then had a really successful time there. So can you kind of tell us a little about that, that, and that, 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 that story? Yeah, so I mean, like coming out of high school, I didn't get recruited by any colleges. So I didn't get recruited D1, two or three, which is you know, kind of weird because you know, I was actually pretty successful in high, in high school. I was an all Long Island first team uh, player in Long Island. I didn't get any recruits, uh, any looks or any scholarships. So I kind of, when I was looking at schools, I applied to a few schools. Bucknell obviously was one of them. And I applied to uh, Boston U. And I kind of went to these schools and trying to just kind of sell myself to try to go to the school. Um, Bucknell obviously gave me the most money so it was more affordable. So I ended up going there and kind of just walked into the, the office, you know, with my tape, my recruiting tape, kind of introduced myself and Brian Bailey. I'm going to be coming to the school, you know, just interested in playing basketball. And um, they were like, yeah, we have a JV program, you know, you can come. And so once I got to the school, I was just lucky that one of the incoming freshmen decided to transfer. And so they had an open spot in the team. And I actually knew or met the other freshman. His name was Pete Santos. He was the only recruit that came in that year. So I kind of knew him just from a freshman orientation. And we kind of just kind of became friends. And so one day they were having just open gym, open runs. 
and he picked me up on his team and we're playing against, you know, guys on the team and I ended up doing well. And some of the coaches kind of saw and heard about me. And, you know, that's kind of how I got on the team. So my, my freshman year really didn't play that much, probably played like maybe 10 games, limited minutes. And, you know, my, my sophomore year, I ended up starting. And then my junior and senior year, I was a first team all Patriot League um, selections. So kind of that's how the process kind of went. That's crazy how you go from someone that, as a, from a walk-on to starting your sophomore year, and now you're in the, you're in the first team all Patriot League. Uh, the, your coach must have been really happy. He must have been pretty ecstatic. No, I mean, they were definitely happy, but I mean, I was definitely happy myself just, you know, for Coach Flannery and his staff just giving me the opportunity, you know, to play. So uh, without them, I wouldn't have been in that position. Of course. So then um, once you graduated from college, obviously you just um, had all the success um, at the collegiate level. Um, you, you went overseas, you played in a lot of uh, interesting and cool teams there, whether it's in Germany, Cyprus. Can you kind of tell us a little about that and, and what that was like for you? Yeah, so I mean, coming out of Bucknell, I really didn't know if I wanted to play professional basketball. So I was actually looking at, you know, working in uh, Manhattan doing computer networking because I had done an internship the past four summers down in the city doing computer networking. So um, coming out of college, I wasn't really sure if I was going to, you know, just get a regular job in the city or try to play basketball. So actually my college coach, Coach Flannery, had told me about a player, J.R. Holden. So J.R. Holden graduated the year right before I came to Bucknell. And he was overseas and he was playing and he was very successful overseas. Every year he played over there, he won a championship. So Coach Flannery was like, yeah, you should, you know, think about going to play professional basketball overseas. And so that's when I took it up, you know, and I was just like, oh, this is something that I probably could do. And I went to some pro exposure camps and met with some teams. And then I went overseas and I tried out for a few teams and I ended up signing. Uh, my first team was in... Montenegro. And then after that it was in Germany. So that's kind of how the process went. It kind of happened real quick. It was, it wasn't like, um, I knew out throughout my whole, you know, college career that I was going to play professional basketball. It just, I obviously came down to the last year. It was like, oh yeah, you should really look into this. I think you have an opportunity to make money playing basketball. And that's when I decided to do it. No, of course. And it's obviously a beautiful thing to just travel the world playing basketball and, and get paid for it too. So Not that must sure. great. Yeah. Um, so once, so after, after all those years of playing, what made you transition into coaching? So to be honest, so I've played 13 years overseas. And then my last year playing was 2015. That's when I stopped and I, and I came back. And when I first stopped, I didn't go right into coaching. So I was doing basketball player development and strength and conditioning with my brother. So we, we formed our company. It's called Dime Athletics. And we were outside of Philly. And basically what we did was we do, we did player development uh, for, you know, overseas European players, professional players, um, high school kids, AAU teams, um, just for guys to work on their basketball skills and their strength and conditioning. So I did that for about a year and a half. And then I got into coaching just kind of randomly. So um, the head scout, David Lewin, had randomly texted me. He was the scout. He's the scout for the Celtics, you know, and he found my number. He's like, I heard you retired. I was just interested if he wants to get into coaching. And we have a D-League team, the main Red Claws up in Maine. So he texted me. I was like, yeah, sure, I'm interested. So I went up there, interviewed for their job. And I kind of, you know, spent three days with Brad Stevens, his staff, uh, up in Boston, interviewed for the D-League job. I was like the final guy, but I didn't end up getting the job that year. So that kind of just kind of sparked my interest to get into coaching. Uh, so after I didn't get the job, I went back to doing the player development stuff with my brother. And then 
think the following uh, summer, I was I followed up again. So I just started making contacts uh, with people that I knew. Um, so one guy I contacted was Chris Fleming, who was my coach in Germany for three years. And I think at the time he was an assistant with the Nuggets. And, you know, just made some contacts. And then I contacted, got into contact with Mike Miller, who was the interim head coach for the New York Knicks. And at the time, he was the D-League head coach for the uh, Westchester Knicks. So I contacted Mike and we just started talking for a while, just, you know, a few weeks, just getting to know each other and ended up interviewing with the Westchester Knicks, Alan Houston was the GM. And that was kind of my first job uh, getting into coaching. So that's kind of how the process went. I don't think it was everything, you know, sort of like playing professional basketball. I didn't really know I wanted to get into coaching. That wasn't kind of what I planned to do after I retired. But once I got into it, I love it. That's super interesting about how you, you, you know, you really weren't sure you're playing overseas. You're having a great time. You end up retiring and then, you know, you go to the training space and can you kind of tell us a little bit about Dime Athletics and what you guys do and what, and what the future looks like for you guys? Yeah. So I, I got out of Dime. So once I got into coaching, uh, I stopped with Dime Athletics. Um, so basically what we were doing, look, you know, it was the player development. So we had professional players, uh, mostly overseas, top uh, overseas European players that would come home for the summer. And these guys needed some, you know, somewhere to work out. They wanted to work on their skills, just to get ready for the next season, prepare. Um, they wanted to get stronger. Um, so we put them through a whole training program for the summer. And, you know, after that, we had obviously high school kids and we had AAU teams that we'd work, work out and practice with. And obviously just trying to get these kids better at their basketball skills. Um, so that was the whole premise behind the company. So once I got into coaching, I had to remove myself from that. Um, because coaching obviously is full time, and <laughs> we don't have a lot, a lot of time for other, other activities. Of course, and then um, so when you when you end up then going to work with Coach Fleming and the uh, Salt Lake City Stars, what was what, what I mean? What was that kind of like going from the Knicks to the to, from the Westchester Knicks to the Stars? So Coach Fleming, so Coach Fleming was my coach in Germany. So I didn't work for him. Uh, he was coaching with the Nuggets. So he kind of just kind of introduced introduced me to some people. Um, so I was working with Mike Miller, and then. Mike Miller, I was only at Westchester Knicks for a year. And then after my year with Westchester, I ended up moving to the Salt Lake City Stars. So the head coach at the Salt Lake City Stars at the time was Martin Schiller. And Martin, I knew Martin because he was my assistant for two years when I played in Germany. And so he brought me with him uh, when he got the head job with the Salt Lake City Stars. So that made me my, my move from uh, New York to Salt Lake City. And then I was with their team. I was with the Stars for two years. And then, no, I was with the Stars. Yeah, I was with the Stars for two years. And then this is my first year with the Jazz. Of course. And, and that whole going from the Stars to the Jazz must, must have been great for you. So now you're in a, in a player development role there as opposed to an, assist, an assistant coaching role. What's the difference in kind of those roles and also what it's like being with the Jazz? Oh, our Jazz philosophy is like we don't really. Uh, differentiate between like assistant coach so every every coach on our on our staff has an assistant coach title so my title would be assistant coach slash player development so basically you know we don't differentiate between player development and coaching and then you know as an assistant coach like you know as a player development coach you're basically coaching as well um so i mean just main responsibilities is just development of our you know roster roster guys to get these guys better um and other roster guys just get them better get them prepared to play in an nba game so that's kind of the biggest thing or biggest responsibility that i have you know i also have like some scouting duties where i work 
with you know other assistant coaches on scouting. So say we scouting and we're going to play the Washington Wizards or San Antonio Spurs, um, just helping with the scout that includes just personnel, um, just plays offensive, de defensively, uh, what the Wizards or Spurs like to do. That's super interesting. And it's great that, you know, everyone is able to kind of help in those roles and kind of, so now as, as this is in this assistant coaching role, what's kind of your relationship with guys like Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, who are really up and coming stars slash superstars in this league. And they've really been making monumental leaps from, from day one. What's oh, I mean, it's been great. I mean, those guys are, you know, class act guys, Donovan, Rudy, uh, they lead by example, guys that come to the gym every day, they're working hard. Um, they're getting better. Um, so just kind of see their work ethic, you know, even though you kind of look from the outside and be like, oh, these guys are really good players, but just to kind of see it up close and personal, um, they're in the gym every day, putting work, trying to get to where they want to be, you know, and the results speak for themselves when they get out on the court. Of course, and, that, and that, uh, that's awesome. And, and kind of, um, are you, obviously you're practicing with them. Are you, do you travel with the team everywhere or? Yeah, so I, oh, I awesome. travel. So I was down in Orlando with the team eight weeks uh, down in the bubble. So. Yeah, everywhere I go, I'm there. everywhere they go, I'm going. Okay, yeah, awesome. So, um, what was it kind of like then the, the on March 11th, the day when the NBA kind of shut down, being at that game? And I mean, obviously, I mean, I was only watching from Twitter um, here in New York. Um, you just see all the pictures of them spraying down the seats and 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 the um, tension of oh my god, what's gonna happen to the season? What was it like kind of being there firsthand? I mean, it's kind of a surreal experience, you know, just kind of when they pulled us off the court and we went back to the locker room. So we were. I guess the tip time was either seven or seven thirty, and we were in that locker room uh, till about one thirty, two in the morning. You know, they wouldn't let us go, and you know, we all had to get tested for COVID before uh, we would leave, and that was just you know because of Oklahoma City uh, Department of Health and stuff like that. So uh, it was a little, little strange just being stuck there and not figuring out what the next move was going to be. You know, where are we going to go? Can we fly back? You know, are we allowed to get on the charter? Can we go and, you know, can we find a hotel to stay in? Yeah, you guys had no um, idea what was going on. Yeah, we, we, we are, everything was just so fluid at the moment. It was just like, we're kind of just in a holding pattern. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just weird, you know, getting uh, even like your team dinner, because we there long, you get your team di dinner. No one could come in the locker room. They just kind of dropped the food at the, at the door of the locker room. And then we had to open the door to get the food in. So, you know, things like that was just really, really strange, but surreal. It's crazy how back then those were unprecedented circumstances and now it's like commonplace. Like it's, it's like, okay, that's just what the world is now. And it's, it's really wild to think about that. So uh, what was it like kind of being in the bubble, obviously for those first few scrimmage games. And then like, that must've been insane. I mean, that, to just be down there. No, I mean, I think the bubble was definitely an interesting experience also as well. Um, I think the NBA has done a great job of just, you know, keeping all the safety protocols great. Um, and just kind of set up the whole thing. Logistically, obviously it was like a big thing just to put on. And, you know, things have gone pretty smoothly. You know, you know the time I was there and I'm pretty sure it's, things are going pretty smoothly now. So um, the first few weeks were kind of, you know, you had so much free time because we weren't playing games. So we were just practicing once a day and you had a lot of free time and it's not really that much to do. You know, in the resort, you can go to the pool, you know, um, you can play some outside games. Um, you can go ride the bike. Uh, but once the game started, we were playing every other day. So we didn't really have time to, to do anything that, you know, things went a lot, a lot better. 
of course, I mean, the difference between those those first two weeks of scrimmage games and then, I mean, you think you had a week and a half to two weeks of, of regular season games and then you go right into the playoffs. I mean, that must have been such a shock just going from just different, all, all those different stages of games that normally take months and months to, to complete. So what was that kind of like, just that, that complete switch around and, and that day to day? No, I mean, I think it, it was a little different. I mean, I think the big thing is that, you know, the NBA kind of prepped guys. So we started in our home market before we went down to Orlando. So we had guys, but we, you know, we were in the gym. It was usually one player. It was one player, one coach. And that's all you could have on the floor. You know, coaches had to have masks and gloves on. So all those kind of precautions. So our guys did a great job of just kind of staying in shape and building up to the point where we got to Orlando. So when we got there, you know, guys were kind of in pretty good shape to get going. So we weren't kind of starting from zero once we got down to training camp in Orlando. We kind of built up um, to where we were. And things just hit so quickly. It was like, you know, we had eight games. and Those games were every other day. And I think we had one back-to-back there. And then it was right into the playoffs. So we kind of had to get into the swing of things really quickly and kind of, you know, snap out from being off. I don't know how many months we were, you know, two, three months. And then it's like, all right, we're, we're back to a season. Um, but it almost kind of felt like, two separate seasons, you know what I mean? Because it was such a big break in between games. So we had a season and then it's like, all right, integrate everybody back again, get everybody on the same page, um, get our guys going. But our, but our guys did well and adjusted pretty quickly. Of course, and you guys were playing great. You guys were just, I think, half an inch away from moving on to the second round. Um, so now that you guys are back, what is it kind of like now? Um, are you guys just completely in off-season mode? Are you guys still practicing? What's that like? So we're, we're kind of, we have downtime now, you know, most of our players are probably out of market and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I know the teams that were not in the bubble, um, they're doing a little mini camp. Uh, so the teams that didn't make the playoffs and we're not down in Orlando. So I think they're doing like a two or three week mini camp, but right now we're off. Uh, don't know when we're going to huddle back together, but, you know, still doing like small projects, you know, still watching basketball on a daily basis, you know, just kind of do some personal development on my own. So that's that's kind of where we are right now. Of course, and I mean this—it's your whole story of just going from uh, a high school player that you know doesn't get a, a, any, a, any looks for college, dominate dominating college, going and playing overseas for for years and years, right? When when most people would think that maybe if even if okay he got to this point maybe he won't last that long. You play for years and then you end up coaching that. Now you're now you're coaching the NBA. You're down in the bubble and with just like the most like you have to be so high up in the, in the, in the game of basketball just to be down there. So that must've been, I mean, just your journey has been remarkable and it's, it's so awesome to talk about someone that's, that's been there and experienced something that I've been watching on TV for religiously for the past three months. Like, I can't remember the last time I've, I've spent a day without watching the game. So I mean, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, I think our listeners are going to take a lot out of this episode. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Big Fellas Podcast. Check us out on all major social media platforms at Big Fellas Pod to join the chop up. You can also listen to us on every podcast platform on the planet. Stay tuned for the next episode, Big Fellas.